This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, voice really struggling this week time. Guess that's the allergies time. You know, it's not struggling is uh, is Tennessee football time. Good, good week, good few days for the Vols time. Everybody still a little bit hungover time? Probably time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Tuesday, which obviously is not a Monday. Yesterday was Monday, and we did have something on the feed. We had uh, the College Football Daily. I joined Nick Costco for that. So we we decided since we already had that on the feed, we could back this up one day. It's a, it's an open date. I think the schedule for the rest of the week will be normal. Be right there on Thursdays, probably with a mailbag episode. Uh, we'll, we'll have other good stuff, but but basically that that's why we're coming to you on a beautiful Tuesday rather than a beautiful Monday in Knoxville, Tennessee. Also going to go over to Ben McKee's house until we give it a better name, get to the one and the only Ben McKee. Benner, what's up, bud? Not a whole lot. Enjoying this this bye week from a media standpoint as as much as you can. Although, uh, after this week, we've got a, a nice eight-week stretch run, I think. And in, in, in the midst of that stretch run, Tennessee basketball going to be kicking it into gear. Yeah. Tennessee baseball is kicking fall ball into gear. And, uh, man, Tennessee has quite the run coming out of the bye week. LSU on the road in Baton Rouge, although it is a 11 a.m. local kickoff time, and we'll touch on that before we get out of here. And, and then they turn around and host Alabama and then host a, a top-10 Kentucky team. Oh, October's going to be fun. So trying to soak in the, the bye week as much as I can. Yeah, it's funny how this always works out, that, that Tennessee basketball usually kicks up right around the time there's a bye week. So the Vols actually started practice officially today on Tuesday, um, but they're going to have an availability on Wednesday. So we'll talk to uh, Rick Barnes and, uh, and a player or two and have some information there. I'll probably take some terrible photos at practice, and we will get those to you. Uh, it, it is it is that time. Uh, Rick, Rick actually talked, uh, I believe it was Monday, uh, he spoke with uh, at his golf tournament. Ramey was there. We've got some coverage from that, some interesting stuff about Zakai Ziegler saying that he still would kind of prefer to come off the bench, which, which he's going to be a game finisher, no no doubt, but he kind of likes bring that energy, that spark off the bench. So that could be an interesting development. There's some new faces uh, to get to know there. Lots and lots of stuff going on. I know that it's an open date, um, but, you know, it, there's basketball stuff. Uh, Hypo and some players talk on Wednesday. 
Uh, and then, as Ben said, uh, it, it is just it, – it's on like Donkey Kong. You, you have a couple of fall baseball games. You've got, um, obviously, the, the meat and potatoes of the football season, the, the big, big, big ones in the middle of the season that are there, tough stretch. Uh, basketball starts. Uh, so and, and but sometime in all then, uh, my son's going to have his like, second kidney surgery too. So we, we are going to be just, just – just balls to the wall uh, working for the next couple months, which is good for y'all because there is tons and tons of information out there. And, and this I prefer, Wes. I, I don't know about you, but this is how I prefer kidney surgery aside, yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously but, we'll take that uh, one to the side. But yeah, but no, yeah. This is, this is how I prefer it. June, which June has been a little more interesting lately because of Tony Vitello, but uh, after college baseball season in, in July – I that, I hate that time of year. I, I prefer being on campus, talking to players and coaches and, and whatever of the three major sports, going to practice, covering games. This is this is why we do what we do. Uh, oh, this it, is why we got into the profession that, that we are in. So it's going to be fun. I know, I know you're just as excited as I am. Oh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying if I said the older I get, the more I appreciate like that what used to be a couple months now it seems like it's three days in the summer where there's not much going on uh you know because it's good to to really kind of flush everything out for a little bit and and kind of like a cleanse right like a like uh it's, it's just like you get it kind of out of your body for 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 a couple weeks Play. is it a ryan shepherd type of flush yeah just like that that's basically what it is um but but you know you, I, I like to play a lot of golf then as much as i can during that time of year uh, even though it's hot it's i get to be out there hey people you can always drink more water right put ice water some gatorade you're good to go um but but i i, I like to to do that i like to you know go to the beach leave the country with the family a little bit do some stuff but um when you're kind of in the grind and you're working it, it, it there's a nice rhythm to it and and there's i don't know that the spouses always love it I, i'd be lying if i said they they love it all the time they don't um but but we do this this is why we do this because it is one exciting sort of sporting event after the other we get to tell stories we get to go experience uh scenes from across the country uh, and right now uh you know tennessee's pretty damn relevant in every major men's sport so so there's there's lots of excitement. Fans are excited. I mean, that that scene over the weekend uh, still had a couple had a couple days to process it. Now uh, that it was just, it, it felt like what what Tennessee football sort of supposed to be. And to, to me, and, and I said this in, in the post game podcast, and we were up there still still in the press box at Neyland. But I, I think two days later, I still I feel the exact same way. I, I think Heupel's answer when a reporter asked him. What was how were the players handling what seemed like a crazy week? Just kind of more attention than expected, more hype, and and Heupel very politely but but very firmly was like, "Hey man, that's what this is supposed to be. This is what Rocky Top is supposed to be. This is what Tennessee football is supposed to be. It's supposed to be college game day in town, 102,000 people going bonkers in the stands with a checkerboard pattern. It's supposed to be you know beating teams like Florida, being ranked in the top 10, having all the the pundits having a Heisman candidate at quarterback. This is what Tennessee football is supposed to be if you're in there and you're doing the job right. Absolutely, absolutely, and and Hypo was spot on when he. Uh, cut the reporter off and the reporter that asked that question he, he's somebody if I remember correctly that that kind of got here right before Jeremy Pruitt or, or or right in the middle of the Pruitt tenure and, and so he hasn't seen Tennessee at, at least up close and personal I, I'm, I'm sure he's very familiar with with Tennessee over the course of history but he he hasn't lived Tennessee football so to speak 
the the day to day of of growing up in East Tennessee or, or just always paying attention to Tennessee football because it, it was kind of the family thing to do or, or going to school at Tennessee and, and so on and so forth. He, he didn't have that type of a awareness and he kind of picked up covering the team right in the middle of the Pruitt era. And he, he's only known absolute disaster and more or less <laughs> chaos. Yeah. And hypo was, was spot on. And again, it, it wasn't a bad question because it, it hasn't been that way in for, a while. Yeah. For he, those players, it was new. Yes. Well, and, and even for the fans, I mean, when, when's the last time, I mean, I guess it was the last time Tennessee beat Florida, but even even around that 2016 Butch Jones team, there, there was some there, there were some interesting dynamics going on in the locker room that 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 made you feel uneasy about the the program, especially for those that were covering the team and were kind of aware of all the the stuff going on behind the scenes. It, it even when Tennessee snapped the streak in 2016, at least for me, Wes, it, it didn't feel as as positive as it does right now. So it's even been a minute for, for those who have been around the football program that, that it has felt the way that it's supposed to. And, and this is exactly that. Is Tennessee going to make it to Atlanta this year? Probably not. But Tennessee's put itself into a situation to where it's going to be playing meaningful football games in November. And theoretically, they are competing to get to Atlanta. They are competing to get into the college football playoffs. And if the, the playoffs were already expanded to 12 teams, I mean, Tennessee would be sitting really good looking at a spot to host the playoff game in December or whenever that may be. And that that's what Tennessee football is. Tennessee football is not the, the Butch Jones end of tenure disaster, the Derek Dooley fiasco, the Jeremy Pruitt cluster, you know what. This is Tennessee football competing with Florida, beating them, and setting yourself up to go play meaningful games in November that could lead to you winning an SEC championship. So I, I thought that was spot on. The, the the vol walk, the college game day atmosphere, that, that was not a surprise. It was nice to see it back, but Tennessee has an elite fan base. Uh, and when all things are clicking, Tennessee has an elite football program in terms of everything all encompassed with, with the game day atmosphere and, and the fan atmosphere and, and the product that it can put on the field. And so I thought Josh Heifel was spot on when he politely cut off the reporter and said, no, this is Rocky Top. Yeah, and, and I think what, what what's interesting to me is that still right now, I, I think that the, the fairness in, in that question comes from thinking about what's going to happen moving forward now because the the one thing about the the situation that that Tennessee has been in for you know I I would say a a majority of the past 15 or so years when you're not playing like super like championship caliber games in like October and November there's been a couple of little instances here and there but generally speaking that's not happening so there's relatively less pressure I think going into those situations you know there's certainly pressure on the coach because a lot of times at Tennessee recently the coach has been playing for his job you know his players are playing for that coach's job but now now I think it's a it's a different thing Ben to me it sounds kind of like it's like now you're playing in that kind of championship cauldron that pressure cauldron that that sort of and it's still September so let's let's really not get too far ahead of ourselves here but even going to um LSU in early October, you're undefeated, you're going to Tiger Stadium, there's pressure in there, right? And if you win that game, then, you know, you're playing Alabama. We all know there, there, there'd be more pressure than usual in that game at that point. 
So it, it, it adds a, an element that I'm not sure these players could possibly understand. I, I'm trying to think where some of them have transferred from. Maybe they've been in those kind of situations, but um, certainly not to this level. No, not not at all. And I mean, it's it's crazy to sit here and think that if Tennessee goes to LSU and handles business, which it's not a given that Tennessee beats LSU. Uh, it's on the road, even with the 11 a.m. local kickoff, it's still going to be a, a tough road test. Uh, and, and although LSU isn't LSU at its best, it's still an LSU roster that has plenty of talent. And and again, we'll get into the matchups. And, and I do think Tennessee is the, the better overall team would, would be favored. on paper. Yeah, Tennessee would be favored. Yes, I, I believe Ryan Callahan or, or Grant Ramey sent in, in our group text last night that on FanDuel, uh, Tennessee is already four and a half point favorites. I mean, four and a half point favorites in, in year two on the road at LSU is just <laughs> remarkable. Year two under Josh Heifel, I, I just never would have, have thought that. And a, again, similar to Florida. LSU isn't LSU at, at peak LSU, but if Tennessee goes down there and handles business, I mean that that's a five and zero football team. I, you're already at number eight, and who knows? You may sneak up a spot or two during the bye week, even without playing, because there are some some pretty interesting matchups ahead of Tennessee yeah, in the K- rankings. Kentucky going to Ole Miss for sure. Right, a- absolutely. Who knows? I I wouldn't be totally surprised if Arkansas knocked off Alabama. Um, again, that'd be an upset, but wouldn't it be totally surprising. So there's some interesting games ahead of Tennessee on the AP poll. But my point is that if you beat LSU, it's it's probably a a matchup of an undefeated top five Alabama team and an undefeated top five Tennessee team, and, and that just completely blows my mind, Wes. Yeah, that that, that has not happened in that series and for freaking ever. Um, it's <laughs> it, 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 it's not been because because you know when. The, the thing about that series is is the streaks, right? And and so when one is up, one is down, and 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 and, and so it goes. But yeah, I think that's we're, we're definitely getting ahead of ourselves there. But still, that is wild to to think about something like that because that that would be um, you talk about making the third Saturday in October what it's supposed to be. Man, that that would be that would be nuts. And 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 again to to think about. I can't get past this because eventually we're going to have to get past this because we're going to have to say, okay, it looks like maybe potentially Tennessee will be something like this moving forward now more, more often than not, not all the time, but, but let's say in in some kind of, let's say in, in this multiverse scenario, that's one thing that could happen. If that happens, we're going to eventually have to stop thinking about my God, how did they get so much better so quickly? Because, I cannot stress enough the situation that Hypo walked into and to think that it would be possible to be where they are now. You don't want to get caught thinking about that because you kind of want to live in the moment, go week to week. Certainly the players have to. Uh, and I think even as media and, and, and people who are fans out there listening, I think it's helpful to be in the moment. Um, but, but it's hard not to sit back and appreciate what they've done. Uh, what what they've done to get to, to this part with a roster that is still very clearly flawed, very clearly flawed. Like if you, there, there's a fair conversation, and I had it with, with Nick Costco on Monday uh, about, you know, is Tennessee the third best team in the SEC right now? Maybe, maybe not. It's certainly in the conversation. 
But to me, there's still such a clear separation between those top two and then everybody else. So if you're talking about getting to that level, there's a hell of a lot of work that's going to be required to get to even start scratching the surface of that. But what you're doing now is you're putting yourself in a situation where you could just be 60 great minutes away from you're right there in that conversation because you don't have to be better than them every single day. You got to be better than them for 60 minutes. And if you get into one of those games with the way Tennessee can score the ball, all of a sudden you you start thinking like, you know, this is one of those weird teams that, that, you know, something like a loss to a South Carolina or something is not out of the realm of possibility. And certainly a loss to Kentucky. Certainly that's not outside the realm of possibility, but like, what a win over in Alabama or Georgia with the way Tennessee can score the ball. Would it be the craziest thing we've ever seen? No. You've seen those teams, those Saban teams, occasionally run into one of those weeks during a lot of those seasons because most of those seasons they weren't undefeated. They tripped up somewhere along the way and to a team that was certainly not as good as they were. They just lost the game uh, because that happens in college football. It happens. And, and – I mean, I think Georgia's probably surpassed Bama right now. I think that's pretty clear to say. Um, but I, this team is putting itself you, – you get that Florida hurdle out of the way, and all of a sudden things start opening up, possibilities start opening up, that you just have to be really good for 60 minutes and things get really, really interesting, Ben. Right, and, and there's just so many reasons for optimism and positivity right now, not, not just about – this football season, but how, how can you not be excited uh, about Josh Heupel and, and what he could potentially do here as a whole? I, I kind of think that's the the biggest takeaway from this this weekend is that you knocked off a Florida team that is less than stellar, but you, you still did it, and it was still a Florida team that had talent on the roster. And, and as you were pointing out, this this roster has a ton of deficiencies still. Uh, it, it's just that your your best players are able to overcome those deficiencies. Josh Heupel and, and this coaching staff, they're, they're still in the phase of, of building this roster up to, to hopefully reaching a point of legitimately going and competing to win an SEC championship and a national championship. So it, it's hard not to be excited about year three and year four when all of a sudden, theoretically, you have a five-star potential generational talent in Nico doing his thing on the offensive side of the ball. And, and then again, theoretically the defensive secondary has been built up because you finally reached that third and fourth year of, of getting talent in and, and, and developing players. So you talk about how they were able to, to get this good, this fast. I, I think of kind of three reasons a, they've been able to take advantage of the transfer portal with guys like Hendon Hooker, and it's still hilarious to me that Hendon technically committed to go play for Jeremy Pruitt. Yep. Uh, but you also have to give Josh Heupel a ton of credit, and this is kind of my my second reasoning, is they've been able to develop talent. They, they took some of those guys who committed to, to Jeremy Pruitt right before he got fired and have turned them into legitimate football players, whether it be Hendon Hooker, I mean, just look at the the night and day difference that he is. He, even from this time last year when he was just now taking over the job, I, I, it's still unfathomable to me, as you tweeted before we recorded this, that he has 45 touchdowns to two interceptions. That That is just, 
I, I don't even know that you can do that on PlayStation. That that's how ridiculous that stat is. Yeah, it's like if if if, and I, I catch myself thinking this at times that that we think about how good you know Nico Iamaliava could could be, right? We we think about that, but if he was just like three quarters as good as Hendon Hooker, that's a hell of a player, man. Like that's the crazy thing about these rankings is is you think like okay. You know, Nico Iamaliava, perhaps a generational talent, which you're absolutely right about. He is just fantastically talented. But if he could be just almost as efficient and explosive as Hendon Hooker, he would be incredible. That's the level Hendon Hooker is playing at right now. And I'm glad for him that people around the country are finally starting to see this. Because I get why it took people a while to see it, because Tennessee is not has not been national college football appointment television for a little while now, so it's not like you're going out of your way to see it. Um, if you're national media, if you're other people around the country, think about it like that. Tennessee's only one of 50 states, lots of places out there, lots of people with different uh, interests. So you're not going to always see this. Um, but I think they're starting to see it now because there's no way to ignore it now. And I think what's good, before we go to break, is I'll mention this, Ben. I think Hooker is very well equipped to handle that. Uh, I think the way that he is wired, that sort of he's always the same person every single day. He shows up, he's got a lot of energy, but not like, you know, crazy you know, freaking like meth head energy. He's just out there every day with like good vibes and he works hard. He's humble. People around the place like him. You know, after Saturday's game, one of the best quarterback performances that I've ever seen a Tennessee quarterback have in a single game, he said, you know, it's just another day at the office. You know, we got the result we wanted. And and this this kind of guy, 24 years old, I, I believe now already, uh, if not soon to be. So, you know, he's mature. I mean, that's like a BYU quarterback age usually. You know, he, he, he's, he's got the maturity to handle this. Yes, and Hendon was a little bit of a, a late bloomer uh, as well. He, he wasn't this uh, at Virginia Tech, and he wasn't this immediately at Tennessee. But, but that, that's what good coaching does. They, they take players – who have the ability to be great, like a Hendon Hooker, and they get the the best out of them. And that was kind of my point, is that they, they've been able to get this good this quick because they've been able to take advantage of the transfer portal. They've been able to develop players. I'm not a huge fan of the secondary at the moment, but you, you look at what Tennessee's doing on the interior of the defensive line, and, and it's pretty remarkable. Omari Thomas yeah. is having a terrific season, but it's it, it might be it might be time for people to think about the fact that he could leave after this year. Yes, he he is making money through first he has made money through the first four games of the season, but it's not just Big O. You you see Dejon Terry in there making plays. You see Bryson Eason in there making plays. You see Karat Garland in there making plays, and, and that's with Tyler Barron a, a, appearing to be a, a better player. I still think you can squeeze more out of that juice than, than maybe you've gotten to this point. But he, he's having a solid year. Uh, Byron Young, he, he was all over the place in the second half uh, against Florida. The, the the development of players has been off the charts. We, we didn't even mention Cedric Tillman, who might be the best receiver in, in football, uh, and Jalen Hyatt. He's gotten better. So taking advantage of the transfer portal, developing football players, and absolutely – changing the culture, doing a complete 180 with the culture has been 
why the, they've been able to get so good so so quickly. And, it, and it's hard not for me to think about those three things, portal, developing, culture, and, and think, okay, well, then what are they going to do when they get these recruits in here? They get a Nico Ialmaliava, who has a generational talent, but Hypel, and, and I'll say Halsley because I wouldn't be surprised if Golish is a head coach somewhere, but even just Josh Heupel. If he's able to develop, which it's not even if he's able to develop Nico, he's going to develop Nico. So with that generational talent, what type of quarterback is is Tennessee going to have back there with him? And that's just kind of all across the board is they're going to continue to recruit really well. They're already recruiting very well, and they will continue to do so even more as they win. And the culture is always going to be spot on. It's hard not to get excited if you're a Tennessee fan, seeing what they've been able to do in a year and a half what they're going to be able to do going forward now that they've had a little bit of success under their belt. And I kind of think that that was the overall statement that, that Tennessee kind of made coming out of the weekend is that, okay, Florida may not be what Florida typically is, but we've been able to reach a point to where we can still take advantage of that in a short amount of time. And we're not going anywhere anytime soon. There's a lot more to discuss about this, but, but, and when we're able to have some of these conversations because because it is an open date week, of course, it's not like a bye week. Coaches are always very clearly, hey, there's there's no bye week. There's an open date. All right. There's no game. There's still work to do. But uh, that affords us a, a chance to sit back and talk about some big picture things that normally during the course of a season, um, you, you don't get too many opportunities to do that. So we're able to do that. But I, I think we also need to discuss what Tennessee needs to do for, for this open date, what, what areas of this team need to be addressed, which ones need to get fixed, and which ones can get fixed in the here and now, because I don't think some of them can. So there's lots to discuss there, but before we do that, we are overdue for a break. Step away, pay some bills, listen to product services, in-house ads, etc., and then we'll be right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Money! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Well, 
Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Ben McKee coming to you from his house, uh, which we haven't named yet. And uh, also, I should say, uh, Sir Angus McCorgahan with a nice cameo throughout this episode because as we're recording this, this is at the time of day where the mailman uh, comes by, the time of day where my wife gets home from work, and therefore... Uh, the dog goes insane. So we cannot avoid that. He is loud. That is what it is. So he is probably the third uh, co-host in this podcast. But, guys, we got a lot of Tennessee football to talk about, and we're going to do that, what Tennessee can do during this bye week, what things can get better, what things maybe can't, but you got to try anyway. Lots and lots to discuss on that front. But before we do that, just a quick request from our end. If you could take about a minute out of your day right now, uh, please, maybe 60 seconds, 75 seconds, 90 seconds tops. Please go in there and subscribe to this podcast and rate and review this podcast. Uh, if you're just listening on the website, we love you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. However, what helps us out the most is if you go in there, uh, whether you're on you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod, you can find this Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. Very, very, very few complaints from our end. Dare I say minuscule amount of complaints from our end. But um, since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go in there and subscribe to it and rate and review it. And also tell your friends. Uh, tell people that you, that you play golf with. Tell people you see when you're out walking your dog. Uh, you got people at the dog park you see. You got friends at church. You, you got friends in, uh, that you meet at happy hour. Uh, or it, just people that you see around you who are wearing Tennessee orange. Even if you don't have any friends, go up to them and say, hey, will you be my friend? Because I don't have any friends. But regardless, maybe maybe you want to listen to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. So if you're already doing all those things, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points... And may God have mercy on your soul. Ben, open date, Tennessee. Couple practices that you get through, right? You, you get off your feet a little bit during an open date. You, you get a couple of days off, usually on the front end, a couple extra days off during that weekend. You send your players home or give them shortly for the weekend, and you always give them a nice little reminder of, hey, things are going good right now. Maybe don't do anything stupid for the next couple of days. You always give them that reminder and then you send them home for a couple days or give them the opportunity to go home or, or have their families come in town and do some stuff. Uh, you spend a lot of time in the treatment room. Uh, you you kind of wrap those ankles and knees and shoulders and get better what you can. Uh, but you also practice a few days there in the middle, and you get after it pretty good. You can do a lot of good on good. You can work on a lot of things. If you're Tennessee right now and you're looking at what's feasible, what's feasible for improvement? Because you can't, like, go to the, go to the you know, free agent market and just – bring in, you know, oh, God, we got to get a safety here. Or, you know, you can't do that. You got what you got. This is college football. Uh, what can you do in this one week that you think tangibly Tennessee could tweak something for the better? There's a couple of things that come to mind. And, and heck, you talk about players going away for the weekend and, and not getting in trouble. I, I hope that our very own Grant Ramey and Ryan Callahan, they, they don't find themselves in trouble when they step away for the bye week weekend uh, as well i mean that that could be very concerning i mean you always have to yeah. watch out for those two especially ryan yeah and well you know because ramey's such a social butterfly that you know he's just you always <laughs> think he's going to go out and get in trouble and then ryan let me tell you party animal you put a couple of jolly ranchers in his zimas and you just you never know what's going to happen uh but but for tennessee i mean there's several things i, I think the 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 first and foremost thing is in the training room and not necessarily on the practice field 
Hendon Hooker dealing with that banged up shoulder, just uh, trying to to keep him off of it, so to speak, as as much as possible, and, and let it heal up as best as possible uh, going forward for LSU. It, it, I mean, it's not anything that they're concerned about keeping him out of the LSU game. Obviously, he was able to finish the Florida game and, and played very well with that shoulder bothering him. But you, you still want to uh, get some maintenance done on that shoulder and, and keep it as fresh as possible because not not only is LSU coming up, but again, as we talked about at the beginning of the pod, there, there's a, a long stretch run coming up and, and three games that could really swing Tennessee's season one way or the other with, with LSU, Alabama, and Kentucky. And you want Hendon Hooker to play in all three of those games because he, as he showed on Saturday, can put the team on his back and, and go win you those games. So I, I, I just think really getting healthy first and foremost. And, it, and it's just not Hendon. Uh, Jabari Small obviously dealing with that shoulder that, that was a stinger uh, after the Akron game, and, and he played very well uh, against tough, Florida over tough, the weekend. Tough, tough, tough kid. Yes, tough SOB is, is what Jabari Small is. He, he deserves a ton of credit and, and really helped out in the passing game uh, as well, not only as a pass catcher, but have some had some big-time blitz pickups uh, as well. He played really, really well. Uh, Dylan Sampson wasn't able to play. Uh, Warren Burrell, D. Williams, they weren't able to play. And, and Lord knows that the secondary uh, needs more help. So you, you just got to get healthy. And then, and then again, Cedric Tillman, best receiver in the country possibly, you want him playing against LSU. And even if that ankle is not good to go against LSU, at least have him ready to go against Alabama. He made a difference in that Alabama game last year and, and had it close going into the fourth quarter. You'd like to have him on the field against the Crimson Tide, obviously. So I think that's that's first and foremost. In terms of the X's and O's side of things, Wes, I, I think that they could really benefit from maybe working on their four-minute offense and, and more so end-of-game four-minute offense because obviously – they, they executed well at the end of the first half and, and at the beginning of the second half. Uh, that, that little the, – the middle eight, as coaches call it, the, those final four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, they executed that part flawlessly. But at the end of the game, when they needed to run some clock, I, I thought they did a better job of running clock at the end of the game than they've showed in the past. But there were still some some inconsistencies there. You, you had a false start. You had two false starts, and Florida helped you out by, uh, I think it was the de- delay of game when, when one of their defensive linemen touched uh, Cooper or or was given mixed signals. Yeah, uh, Brent, like Brent, yeah, Brenton Cox, the disconcerting signals. Yes, I, I think that was on that final drive, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was a little bit earlier. But Florida had a penalty in there that that helped Tennessee with its own two penalties uh, on false starts and, and delay of games, stuff like that. It just looked awkward, the, the Tennessee trying to to run clock there at the end of the game and its four-minute offense. Uh, and, and, again, I did think that they, they looked better in that situation than maybe they have in the past, but it just still looked out of sorts because you're going tempo, tempo, tempo all the time, and, and then it kind of just feels awkward when you take your, your foot completely – completely off the gas and I do appreciate Heupel throwing the ball on that fourth and three like, and not like just that. running it in I like that call to too. the back of the line I I, I kind of like the idea of maybe kicking a field goal there and, and making it a, a 13 point game uh, but that that's not a huge point to, to harp on but just working on some some two minute and four minute offense at the end of the game when you need to bleed clock because it, it just looked like the guys were out of whack even the plays that they were able to get off in time 
on the play clock. I mean, it, it kind of was coming down to the wire and, and trying to hurry up and get guys set. It just did not look good. So working on that, I think, is a big key uh, during the bye week. The, the bye week is the perfect time to work on that type of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to me because it, it, when I see Tennessee try to run clock offensively, it's like if you've ever tried to, to walk a puppy, not a dog. But, but like a, a puppy, right? He, he's barely housebroken. You know, he, he's just – he's so excited. He, he Everything in the world's so awesome to him. So you try to teach him to kind of walk on a leash, and, and that sucker's just going. Like he's trying to tug you all over the place. Like he just – that's kind of what it feels like when Tennessee tries to go and, and burn clock. It's just like it's not what they do. It's not who they are. And what, what gets you about this offense – more than anything, is the pace. I know there's complexities there, and, and I think the way that they set up that touchdown or the 70-yard the pass to Brew McCoy was just beautiful. That that was them 100% causing Florida confusion with some of the eye candy and actions that they'd run a little bit earlier in the game. They just completely wrong-footed trading there, got Florida secondary messed up, and got a 70-yard play out of it. They are very, very good at exploiting those types of things and creating problems. Uh, it's a beautiful beautiful offense but the tempo of it is what makes it it's not like there's all these complexities that you're seeing with NFL offenses where you're making seven or eight different kinds of checks and all these other they're, they're not doing that what they're doing is not that complex but the pace at what they're doing it is what causes the problem so then what do you do when you're trying to run clock they just kind of stand around for about 25 28 30 seconds and then they hurry to the line and then they run a play um, so they can kind of still simulate their same tempo and cadence and everything, but you're just kind of standing around beforehand, and it just kind of feels weird. And and so I don't know that they're ever going to be awesome at that, um, but they certainly can be better, and they're going to have to be better because it's not the defense's fault that, that Florida recovered that onside kick, right? Uh, probably Tennessee's coverage could have been a little better, but also that was a great kick. And that was an unbelievable play by the young man. And an unlucky bounce. Yeah. Uh, again, you, you got to find a way to catch that. But I mean, that, that was like baseball right there when an infielder just gets an incredibly unlucky hop that just sneaks up on him fast. Or in this case, it just – I think it just really got too high for Princeton Fant to, to catch the ball. So he was relying on the guys behind him, and, and he went to block. It was more of an unlucky bounce, I thought, Wes, than, than necessarily Tennessee doing something wrong. But you still do have to yeah, find and, a way to come and, up and, with that. And the kid, the kid made a great play on the ball. Where I don't want to take anything away from him. That was a a fantastic play by a really, 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 and I don't, I don't say this lightly, an elite athlete that Florida has never quite figured out what position he is. Uh, it's like he's played some. What is the offense? Is he a linebacker? Edge? What is he? Um, but he's just a freakish athlete at like 6'4", 6'5", and uh, he made a great play on that ball. I might look at that kid at tight end after looking at that. Uh, but, but you know, that that's that's not the defense's fault, right? Um, but Tennessee could have prevented just about all of that um, by more efficiently running that four-minute offense, and, and you can you can put a game away doing that or make Florida burn all the timeouts earlier, and then and then we'll see. But – it's just not something that they're very comfortable doing. You can tell. Now you got to work on that. Hendon Hooker's an old man at quarterback. You ought to be able to, you know, help the guys a little bit with that. You would like to think it could go better, because the way Tennessee scores the ball, that's not the first time they're going to be in that situation. They're they're, they're going to be up on people uh, certainly at times, and and they're going to need to put games away in those situations. And I, I don't think that you know you could say with like seven minutes left or eight minutes left. 
did they have to go into four-minute mode then? I say yes. Some people say no because your defense can't stop anybody, so why are you stopping? I still think you're playing the game in front of you, and you're managing the clock, and you're doing the smart thing. And it just almost didn't work because you, you couldn't get a couple stops on fourth down. You got stopped on fourth down, and you, you had a bad break on the onside kick, and things didn't go your way. So I think that's something to work on. But what I was talking about going into this segment – I think everyone knows that the secondary kind of is what it is. Um, I, I think it's interesting to me because these coaches are around these players been so much more than we ever will be, right? They, we, we see hypo practices in part during camp and during the spring. Once the regular season starts, we don't see anything. We get interviews. We get lots of good access. We can hear from people. But we don't have eyes on the practice field at all until a couple days of bowl practice. That, that's it. So we have to rely on what they're saying, what they're seeing, and, and what we're hearing behind the scenes. But they've clearly made a determination that those two safeties are their best chance to win football games. That's what they've done, and, and I don't know enough to say that's wrong. I don't know enough to say are you sure there's not a kid with less experience there, but he's so athletically superior that he might have a chance to go out there and make some plays? Or would he just give up more plays because he wouldn't know what they're trying to call defensively? I know that seniors at safety and inside linebacker are worth their weight in gold because of the way they can set the front, the way they can set the coverages, the way they can communicate. They can do all of those things better than just about any – like. Occasionally, you'll get like a Henry Toto who can do that great as a freshman. That's really rare. So you kind of – I get why coaches do what they do with veterans in those spots, but if they decide that they have to stick with those guys, I'm kind of at a loss for what you can do to improve the situation because Jalen McCullough, Tank McCullough, is an awesome kid. He has taken bad angles for a few years now. And I don't know that that's just going to wake up overnight and change. I, I just don't. I, I don't think that uh, some of the times where, you know, Flowers gets run over or zigs when he should zag, I don't think that's going away. I mean, th- these guys have played a billion snaps. This is who they are. So what can they do? Can they hope that, you know, Burrell comes back and he gives them a little bit better play than some of the young guys? Can they hope that D. Williams gets into the mix and can do some things? Uh, can maybe someone like a, you know, a Wesley Walker come in uh, and play more at nickel? Because I like Tamarian McDonald a lot. I don't think he played very well at all against Florida. I think he had a, a rough day. Everyone in the secondary did, but he, he did not play as well as I thought he might. So maybe they can do that. Maybe they can move like a McDonald or a Walker to safety. But again, I don't think they're going to do that. I just don't know what they can do um, to change things. Because they, they did say, and this is important to note, Ben, before I kick it over to you, uh, did hear from Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, on Monday, and he confirmed that their plan against Richardson was not to blitz him a ton because they felt like showing him, making him make decisions after the snap against coverages was the best way to give him problems because they just, quite frankly, did not think that he was great at processing mixed coverages yet. And they thought that if they, they could maybe get Young and Barron and some Josephs and some guys in there hassling him a little bit, plug up the running backs, plug up the backs in the middle, but drop guys and make him figure out things in his own because that also gives you some, some natural, if not spies, 
guys who are closer to the line of scrimmage anyway in case he breaks out of the pocket. And their goal was just to make him make decisions and beat them with his arm. And as Banks said, the problem was the sucker still broke out of the pocket too many times. And then he got comfortable and he found some holes in zones and he made the plays. Because Tennessee likes to be a a pressure defense and a man defense, but their plan against Florida, I can understand that's the plan going into it. I do wonder if it didn't need to change quicker. Because on the last couple drives, when they really started bringing heat on him, they were able to get there and affect him a little bit more. Um, But maybe that's the natural play in that situation. So I just wonder, I understand why they made the plan they did. Sometimes plans don't work. That one didn't work. Um, I wonder if they could have maybe changed it sooner. Yeah, uh, because you did see them go to more of a, uh, we're we're going to attack and put pressure in his face, and and hopefully that leads to him uh, making inaccurate passes. And and that was the difference on on those final three plays there after Florida recovered the onside kick. On the first play, on that first down, they, they drop people in coverage, and they don't come after him, and he completes a pass for 14 yards on that first down uh, to Justin Shorter and got the ball to the to the 39, Tennessee's 39. And, and then it, it seemed as if Tim Banks had screwed this. We're, 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 we're getting after him. And they did so on that following play, and he threw a pass high. And then on the final play of the game, they came after him. Tyler Barron and Byron Young met at the quarterback and he couldn't get enough on the throw to get it to the end zone. And Kamal Haddon comes up with the interception. And, and I get not wanting to, to go all out blitz and pressure on AR um, throughout the entire course of the game, because it, it's different with him compared to what you saw against Pittsburgh and Keen Slovis, because with Keen Slovis, you don't have to worry about Slovis getting out of the pocket and breaking some tackles and and hurting you with his legs like Matt Corral did last year. You can pressure, pressure, pressure him, and Slovitz isn't going to be able to break out and, and go make plays, at least a ton of them, with his legs. You absolutely have to worry about that with Anthony Richardson. So I, I kind of understand being more hesitant in terms of sitting back and trying to, to make him cipher through a defense like you talked about, Wes. But the problem is – it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the guy, the receiver, is wide open as wide open gets, and there's a 10, 15-yard cushion on every receiver on every single play. And to me, again, I'm no defensive back expert. I am far from it, absolutely far from it. I'm not a defensive football expert. I'll be the first one to admit it. But it it seems like there's been this cushion with the same DBs outside of Kamal Haddon for for years now regardless of of who the db coach is and especially the last two years under willie martinez and and willie martinez returning to tennessee and to me that's a reflection of how tennessee feels about its personnel and the fact that they don't trust their guys to to not give as big of a cushion because they're going to get beat over the top if if they do so they'd rather give the cushion and and try to keep the play in front of them so I, i think it's a personnel issue uh, more more than it's a scheme or or play calling issue. I, I definitively believe in that. I, I watched Willie Martinez develop Rashawn Gall and and Cam Sutton into NFL defensive backs, and Brian Randolph get better over the course uh, of their career. I, I just kind of agree with what you were saying that at this point, Jalen McCullough and, and Trayvon Flowers are what they are, 
and I like Kamal Haddon. I, I like Tamarion McDonald. But the corner spot opposite of Haddon is, is hurting Tennessee through the first four games of the season. And and they have to figure something out. I I, I don't think that there's really any options at safety. Uh, Andre Turntine, the redshirt freshman transfer from Ohio State. is. Uh, yeah, I like him, but I don't know if he's ready. He's not ready. If he was, he'd probably be playing in, in some capacity. But could could you move to Marion McDonald back there and and let Wesley Walker play more in the slot, or can Wesley Walker play safety? And the one that that really confuses me is Christian Charles looked really good at safety last year until he got hurt, and he's inexperienced at corner. He he was a high school quarterback, but. It doesn't really seem to be working, and I recognize that it's very, very early in Christian Charles' career. He's just a true sophomore. This is really his first stab at playing corner. Who knows what he'll look like a year or two from now. But he he definitely looked better at safety last year before he got hurt than than he does at corner. He's a a really smart kid. He's a really smart kid, man. I like having smart kids at safety, and he's just a really smart kid. He's a good football player and and deserves to be on the field. I just wonder if corner – is the the best spot for him. And again, I'm no DB expert. I'm no DB coach. Willie Martinez and Tim Banks know far more than I ever will. But it, it just the eye test, my eye test, and, and watching him last year before he got hurt and watching him so far this year, this year he seems like a fish out of water at, at corner. And you, you need – and that's honestly why Warren Burrell was playing. I, I know Warren Burrell draws the ire of, of Tennessee fans, and, and rightfully so, but that, that's when he's been playing why he's been playing quite frankly and and other than that your options with d williams being hurt is true freshman christian harrison i mean that that's it and and another safety option is true freshman jordan thomas who who i I like as well he's come down he's come down and made some plays on on kickoff but again he's not ready to be back there at safety um on on every snap so you've got to obviously try to figure something out and and it seems like it would be moving guys around that that are already playing and and trying them in in different spots and and here's the other thing brandon turnage plays well at at nickel last year against south carolina when when theo jackson can't play because theo jackson's hurt And, and this year he's playing corner and like christian charles he looks like a fish out of water he comes in when kamal Haddon has his wind knocked out of him and gives up a big play immediately down the sideline. So I I don't know if it's moving guys around, but at this point with with this secondary, and again, uh, until some of those younger players are more developed and until they they get more talent in here, there's a reason they're bringing in three corners and two safeties, and they're still looking to add a sixth defensive back. And that's just the high school ranks. They're, They're trying to bring in six high school defensive backs. And I guarantee you they will still search uh, from C to C for a transfer safety or a transfer corner. They're, they're going to search the portal from C to C. And that tells you all you need to know about the current personnel. It just kind of is what it is, but it does seem like maybe there's a little bit of flexibility trying to move guys around that could potentially help in the long run. But last point, Wes, I think getting D Williams back healthy could potentially help you, you get a little bit better. I, I don't know what D Williams is uh, at, at this level. He, he hasn't played SEC football. I, I don't know how much he can help, but man, if, if they could get him healthy and he could help, I mean, that's a, that's like a, a mid season 
free agent or, or trade deadline acquisition. They, they need him back just to at least see what they've got in him at, at minimum. Yeah, and he's an athletic freak, so I think they're, he, he's really, really fast. He's really shifty. Uh, he flips the hips really well. There's a lot to like about him, but I, I, I think my, my last point about that is um, I, I think that if you look at what they have defensively and what the options usually are, sometimes I wonder now if you know – that if you have high possession caliber games, you feel like your offense is going to outscore the other one, and that's the way you're going to play. So in my mind, that leads me to thinking, why don't you just be super, super aggressive defensively? You might give up some quicker scores, but then they'd be on the field less. Uh, they'd get more rest, and you might force some more turnovers to to get the things that you want to accomplish. So you might be flirting with disaster there like molly hatchet style but you know you you might be guaranteeing the games are going to be 50 to 45 but you know maybe that helps i i I don't know because if you're just going to give up plays and give up plays and give up plays maybe it's better to just go leroy jenkins and just go after the quarterback and just be super aggressive and and you can maybe create more negative yardage plays you can maybe force some more penalties you can maybe get them behind the sticks and and then mix it up on third downs I, I I just I know that they're searching for answers and I know that they know more about football than we do and I don't you see a lot of other people out there who, who claim to be like experts I, I don't claim to be an X's and O's expert frankly i know more about uh, baseball and probably more about basketball than i do about football just in terms of pure personnel x's and o's strategy and those sorts of things but I, I i think it's fair to say when you look at what happened against florida okay that didn't go right whatever the plan was uh whatever you, you give up up 600 yards you won the game which is good um but obviously the plan didn't work so you're gonna have to look at some things and i realize and it's not difference. like florida has first round receivers we talked about that going in i think the, they're okay the game. i do think they're okay yes I'm, I'm well when i say they're not first round receivers that doesn't mean that i think they're bad i'm just saying you, you typically see that type of production come from first round receivers or early draft picks though those florida receivers should not have been running as open as they were uh quite frankly no i think that's fair but i i mean these are fair questions that we'll probably have to discuss throughout the season because I, I'll just be candid. I don't think those some of those issues are going away. You, you can maybe um, soften them, work around them, change up the strategy and see if that helps, but you're not going to reinvent the wheel there, uh, and you would have to reinvent the wheel to to make them a really good back-end defense because they're, they're, they're just not. But uh, that's the only thing that – I would say offensively one thing before we get out of here. I do think – that they should have more chances to exploit Jacob Warren in the passing game. And I think for whatever reason, he and Hendon Hooker, I know they're really good friends, but their sort of chemistry on who's going to go, you know, where are you going to be in certain situations? I don't know if it's outstanding. And and I think you see Warren breaking open a lot. You see that he's six foot seven, whatever he is with the catch radius of like, you know, the rings of Saturn. I mean, he's a big target and who he can do things, and I'm not saying he's a Kelsey or anything like that, or any of those. But but I think that he, I think they could exploit that more. Um, and I'm not just saying that because they missed the play where Hooker was rolling to the right, and then that was been a touchdown. But I just think there are chances, especially if Tillman's out a little bit longer. I think there are things you can do to to get more efficiently 
get the ball to him more efficiently because I, I think he could be a weapon for them more than he has been. But we're, we're sort of nitpicking there, but that's just one thing I've noticed. And you'd like to see the running backs get healthy because, you know, they, they're going to need them. But offensively, I don't, I don't think it's fair to have too many complaints. I mean, Hendon Hooker's a magician out there and doing incredible things, and he's efficient, he's explosive, he's frankly exquisite a lot of times. He just is. But you, you can yeah. always be better. My 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 frustration with the offense, if there is any, or if I were to nitpick, is it's just that it, it seems like there's continued shots in the foot uh, that that they continue to to put themselves in, in a bad position rather than necessarily the the defense putting themselves uh, putting Tennessee in, in a bad position uh, because even like. I, I, I kind of feel like the, the Jacob Warren Hendon Hooker connection. I, I feel like this past game what was more of an outlier than than anything because the one that he missed Warren over the middle of the field, that was kind of on a, a broken play, whereas it, it wasn't necessarily a designed route and somebody didn't do something right. It, it was more Hooker running to the sideline and trying to throw back across his body and, and, and maybe Warren should have kept running. Maybe Hendon thought that he was going to, keep running but I, I did think that that was a little bit different and then even on on the other one on the opposite side of the field early in the game uh, when they had to settle for the field goal it just seemed like Hendon was was late getting the ball out and because he was late getting the ball out just kind of threw behind him uh, and for whatever reason they they just couldn't connect there Warren maybe has to catch that because it did hit him in both his hands but still a, a difficult you, catch yeah. to make because it was late and behind him but but then also in the middle of those two plays, you see Warren release beautifully out of the backfield on a wheel route down down the sideline that Hendon hits him perfectly in stride. So uh, it, it's it's those little things just that that and not even really Warren Hooker that that is frustrating to watch at times, but just the the penalties at the end of the game when you're trying to run out the clock. I mean, th- those should should never happen. Um, but I, I think you really do, as you mentioned, Wes. You, you you have to nitpick. Maybe the pass pro isn't pass pro from the running backs isn't terrific. Um, but I, I think that there's a, a lot of things that this coaching staff can harp on offensively, just in terms of cutting down on the penalties because the, just getting guys, allowing guys to get set at the line of scrimmage. And I realize that that may be part of just the tempo and, and this Tennessee offense because of the tempo. But just little silly things like making sure everybody is set at once before you snap the ball. I mean, th- those things, regardless of what type of offense you run, shouldn't be reoccurring things. And they're the type of plays that will get you beat against the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. Yep. And I, I, I tend to think of things like uh, like what what do people like Nick Saban think? Like in a, in a week like this, you're 4-0. Um, but you can be better, and you need to realize that you can be better because if you don't, then you will have already reached your maximum potential as a team, and and then that that's not quite good enough. You, you got to keep getting better. You got to keep evolving. You got to develop depth because more guys are going to get hurt, and that's just the nature of it. So there's a lot of things you can do in those few practices during the open day. But more than anything, uh, just just uh, just just get those guys healthy. That's that's what I would say offensively. Just get those guys healthy, keep the train rolling, and then defensively figure out what you can. But there's a uh, it's a lot easier and a lot uh, maybe if not easier it's certainly a lot more pleasant to be dealing with those things when you are 4-0 as opposed to 3-1 and or 2-2 two and two, and people are questioning where the hypo era is going and that's if they were 2-2 two and two or something right now that's where 
that's what people would be discussing. So Tennessee needed to start winning those close games against good teams. Tennessee has now done that twice, won close games against good teams. So there's progress there. Just just kind of kind of keep on trucking, keep on doing your thing. I think that's the that's the bottom line. You got anything else, Ben? I am all good. Going to try to enjoy this bye week as basketball and baseball get going a little bit, as we talked about earlier, and settle in for the stretch run. It'll be a fun couple of weeks to cover Tennessee football with that trip to Baton Rouge and then come back home for the third Saturday in October. And I know everybody will be talking about Alabama and LSU, but that that matchup with Kentucky setting up to be a real fun one. And I know Tennessee has had Stoops' number the last couple of years, but they've still been really close and exciting football games to watch. So it's going to be a fun three-week stretch here. Yeah, and the way Tennessee's defensive line is playing and the way that um, Kentucky's offensive line is playing – uh, Tennessee might get excited about being able to hit Levis a bunch of times. Yes, and something to keep an eye on for the old trip to Baton Rouge as well. That LSU offensive line, not what it may typically be. And the the way that Tennessee's interior of the defensive line is playing, I, I think that could be something that, that really dictates the, the, the game. I, I could certainly see uh, Jane Daniels having to, to peel herself off the field several times in that one. That's probably a really, excuse me, optimistic way to end it. So appreciate the time today, Ben. Go back and enjoy your uh, your your open date uh, Tuesday festivities. You as well, my friend. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Guys, thank you. Thank you for listening. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7. On Twitter, Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. You can also go uh, to twitter.com slash govals 24-7 and facebook.com slash govals 24-7 to get all of the stuff there, or most of the stuff there. We got stuff on there that we update throughout the day, all day, every day. Tons of stuff on there. All good stuff. But if you want that best, most delicious, that sparkling, delicious, crystal clear East Tennessee Smoky Mountain Spring Water right from the tap, go directly to GoBalls247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball coverage. We cover Tennessee baseball better than anybody out there. We got that for you. We got Lady Vols coverage with award-winning Maria Cornelius, who covers all things Lady Vols for us. You also get administration news. Basically, anytime anything happens over there at the University of Tennessee, we bring it to you at GoVols247.com. We also have two forums that run around the clock, the Checkerboard and the Summit, where you can go and discuss uh, anything you want that is not political or religious in nature, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will be there to discuss it with you. Just about one of us is up just about all the time, at least, so you can go in there and do that. And you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, and that's after a free trial, and that's always. A lot of times we have better deals than that, but at least we have the seven-day free trial, and then you can start paying us. And when you start paying us, again, which is less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, if you do that, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which is the streaming arm of CBS, Viacom, Paramount, all of it. Get all of it right there. And it's, I mean, you got stuff, brand new movies, exclusive movies, exclusive shows. You get stuff from the vaults of uh, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, 
all of it. And obviously everything CBS has ever done commercial free. That's a 100 plus dollar annual value that we'll put in your pocket for nothing, for nothing. So we're giving you several hundred dollars worth of stuff for less than a hundred bucks a year. Guys, that is an unbelievable deal. So please, this is a great time. Go take advantage of that now. Uh, if you haven't heard from us uh, from a couple days, there's been a problem. We should be back here uh, in, in a couple days or so. You'll hear from us very, very shortly. Until then, guys, be good to each other. Be decent to each other. Please, there's not nearly enough of that in our world anymore. God, we are so mean to each other. Have some basic human empathy. Allow people their dignity. Try to be kind. Be good to each other. Until then, be good, guys. See you. Where's Wes at? I, I, he already put my comments out there, so <laughs> he, he had direct quotes. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.